Welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome to Top 3, where entrepreneurs are sharing secrets and mistakes. I am Marsha O'Connor, CEO and founder of The O'Connor Group, where we basically outsource HR, outsource recruiting to mid-sized companies. Today, we are very fortunate to have another fellow entrepreneur on the team. His name is Jim Paolino, and he is going to be talking about his company, what he does, how he got started, and is obviously going to share the top three secrets and mistakes too throughout so bear with us sit back get that cup of coffee ready to go but here we go introducing jim jim welcome to the show thanks so much for having me marcia it's nice to be the one answering questions for a change opposed to asking them that's right because you have your own podcast as well yeah. what is that what is that called Lone Stars Lending Leaders, and we're going to have you on pretty soon, too. So excited, excited to uh, flip the table. So if you ask any hard questions, they're going to come back at you at twice the speed. So get excited. Oh, I always tell people, bring it on. I'm always up for an excitement and yeah. a challenge there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So Jim, tell me about your current company and how long have you had it open? Sure. So uh, Lone Star Software Solutions uh, is my company. We were Last year, the 11th fastest growing business in Philadelphia. Hope to approve upon it for this coming year. Um, and we just celebrated our eight, eight year birthday. So um, yeah, I, um, I started the company myself eight years ago from a small one bedroom apartment in New York City. Um, we so kind of step back. What we do is we provide um, data to mortgage companies. We tell people how much they're going to pay when they buy a house. So folks who've, who've been through the process, you get a sheet of paper called the loan estimate that tells you all of the things you have to pay when you close on a house or refinance, as I'm sure a lot of people have done in the last year. And there's a lot of those things. So um, about, it was, I think, 2009 through my family's business, which was a title company, I started um, writing some code for them, doing a, they came to me with a problem. They say, mm -hmm. we need to know how much our customers are going to pay um, in a transaction. Help mm -hmm. us. Right. Mm -hmm. So like any, any good business, it starts with a problem opposed to a product or an idea. Um, so figured out a calculator. I built this during a semester break. I was still in college at the time in 2009 and became a side business for a while. 2013, um, came across, I'd been working in other jobs in New York City and wanted something different. I always really, you know, was attracted to entrepreneurship. I have a lot of family members who've been in entrepreneurial in one way or another. I actually have a little wall of it right behind me here of all the different family businesses um, over the years, most of which are no longer around as, as is generally the case with small businesses. Um, so 2013, I said, hey, how hard can this whole starting a business thing be? Let's do it. Let's see if I can, you know, make this my full-time job. Um, and then I proceeded to make every small business mistake imaginable from um, bringing in folks who weren't the right fit, not really having a good pricing strategy, being in the wrong rooms with potential clients, not having a scalable product, um, mm -hmm. not managing my own personal costs and timing in the way I could. So it took a while to really kind of build itself up. Um, now, eight years later, um, still here, been able to grow the company, um, just about 13 employees. We work with over 200 banks, mortgage companies, credit unions throughout the country, and are still growing. So it's, 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 been, it's been a fun ride, um, definitely a lot that's, that's been learned along the way. Um, but it's been, it's been exciting um, and just really passionate, not about mortgage calculators, but passionate about running a business growing a business, continuing to kind of do that in any way possible and mentoring folks as well 
um, you know, through what we're involved with, with the entrepreneurs organization, as well as um, I mentor a lot of folks who are just starting businesses on the early side through Drexel and, and Lehigh universities locally. And that's so cool. So because yeah. um, so people out there, just let you know, Jim and I are both involved in EO, which is Entrepreneurs Organization, which is a international group for entrepreneurs that have revenues a million or more. And um, so it's really great to share experiences and really meet other fellow mind um, individuals that all think and share the same love around entrepreneurism. Mm -hmm. But let's go back to college. Um, sure. When you had talked about that, you know, what what was your major in college and said, hey, I, I could just write some code. I mean, were you in computer science or something else? Uh, yeah, I was an engineer. I was an information and systems engineer at Lehigh University. So I, I knew enough to start, right? And, mm -hmm. and that was um, very quickly after that, um, I brought in who's now still my business partner, our CTO, who does the majority of the, the product work. But I knew enough to kind of write the code for the first product and mm -hmm. kind of go from there. So enough to be dangerous, basically. But how did you know to bring a CTO? And what was the point that you knew, like, mm, you know, I'm good at this, but I could be probably better selling. I'm going to have somebody in basically handle the technical side of the house and take me out of it. I got kind of lucky. I think when I was doing this as a, as a, part-time job for so long, there mm -hmm. were things that were slightly beyond my expertise. And I had a good friend who um, was looking for work at the time. Um, so it just kind of fell into it. Um, and then it was just helpful. I also brought in another partner who didn't work out. So right. that's kind of the part of, of the issue. And that was one of kind of the mistakes and advice I wanted to get into is knowing that you can do things yourself. And there's always a line of like, when do you need someone else and when don't you? Yes. Um, and I think there were a lot of things that I didn't think I could do myself from a sales aspect, from a business development aspect, from just mm -hmm. basic entrepreneur stuff. Um, the hard computer skills were, were never really something I knew I was going to be a long-term fit. So that was mm -hmm. easy to bring someone in. But what I don't think I understood is, at least for my business, you need someone to sell software and someone to write software. And I spent a lot of time dealing with, with people who weren't doing either. And that was kind of the, the mistake in hindsight. But also part of the problem is starting a company at 26. You don't know what you don't know. And it's a whole lot of things. So you're paying for a lot of those mistakes in real time. Oh, hands down. And I find that too with very young entrepreneurs because they're really good at something, but they forget if you want to scale, you have yeah. to give up something and then have somebody else do it. And it's really hard to let go. Yeah. And and then how did you how did you learn to do that? Because that feat itself is not easy. And that's where a lot of entrepreneurs mm -hmm. become solo entrepreneurs because they can't get out of the weeds kind of a deal. Um, How did you know to do that? Kicking and screaming is the answer at the end of the day. Um, I think it's it slowly happened out of necessity and mm -hmm. really just in the last few years where we've scaled um, in terms of the number of people and, and the role has changed. Um, I think I've it's a combination of one having a good team around me saying, Jim, you don't need to do this. You shouldn't be doing this um, right. part of it. Um, part of it, it just happens by accident. I had some time last year where I was out for about two to three weeks that weren't completely planned. Um, and during that time, I realized one, the company didn't burn down. We didn't lose a client. Um, the day-to-day -day operations were handled very well by the team we have in place, but mm -hmm. didn't sign a client and I'm the only one who does billing for the business. So it's good to not lose a client to keep things going, but not signing clients and not getting clients to pay you are two pretty big parts of a business. So going out of that time, I said, okay, these are the things I need to work on now.
Good for you that you did that. And then you also joined Goldman Sachs on 10,000 small businesses. When did you, when did you decide that, you know, that was going to be a good spot for you? Um, that was a couple of years ago. I think it was right before COVID where I applied mm-hmm. and was going to be in an in-person cohort. Um, really only in the last, uh, well, about two and a half years ago, my wife and I moved to Philly. Um, mm-hmm. and it was in that time I've really did a lot with the entrepreneur community here and really tried to focus on peer learning, which is something that brought me to EO, mm-hmm. um, was the fact that, you know, I've seen my, my dad run a business for almost 30 years now, and he has done none of that in terms of other people he can talk to, other people he bounces ideas off, and ends up being me more often than not, which is fine, but um, I think you learn so much by people who've gone through the same thing even if it's in very different industries. Um, so that has slowly been a big priority for me. Um, that's what brought me to Goldman. That's what brought me to EO. And I think it just demystified the process in a way. And there's so much about being an entrepreneur that can be very isolating and lonely. Um, so I view a lot of these things almost like group therapy as well, mm-hmm. because you're just able to go in and talk to people who are going through the same thing. You know, All too often, you can't really talk to folks at your company about things going wrong with your company. Um, I'm fortunate I have a very good business partner that, that helps. Um, Mm -hmm. and in most cases, you know, my, my wife, Sarah is a wonderful resource, especially on kind of the more personal people issues that you deal with. Um, but overall she doesn't want to hear all of this stuff and it's not always the best at talking about the finer points of the mortgage industry, which is fine. Um, so you need to find that outlet in those mentors and those people. So that's kind of what's made me kind of seek out a lot of that type of stuff. So you said you come from a family of entrepreneurs, which is amazing. How instrumental were they in regards to getting you set up the first three years? Oh, I wouldn't be here without it. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of help both on the the financial level of getting started. Um, I think it was, it was always so normalized that of course you could do this. Um, mm-hmm. But I think part of the problem is they didn't realize, you know, you were kind of viewing things through rose-colored glasses. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Was, you, you've, you've learned to get different advice that was helpful. I think it's different because every business is different, too. Like, if you see here, this is the business wall I have behind me. And you have an auto dealership, a credit union, a construction company. And these were all, like, two generations ago, great-grandfathers, wow. right? Turn of the century. And they weren't doing – they weren't starting businesses – because they had a cool app idea. They weren't starting businesses for a cool work-life balance or something like that. They needed to provide for their family. They wanted to create jobs and they had to figure something out, right? So I think that's um, really important to keep in mind that it's not necessarily always a choice. Um, So I think that's really helpful. I think one Mm -hmm. thing I had a good perspective on at the time, and it's something I always tell people when I'm, I'm mentoring someone who wants to start a business or is getting there, is what does failure look like? Right. Like, what does it look like if you fail? Like, I think most people don't want to think about that or I won't fail. This is going to happen. I need to make this work. Like, no, most business, most small businesses fail. I think you once you figure out what that looks like for you, generally, it's a little less scary. Um, But it all depends. I think at my time when I was 26, Mm -hmm. quit a job and was doing this. Did I take a pay, uh, a substantial pay cut? Yes. But at the same time, if things didn't work out in six months to a year, I just mm-hmm. probably get that same job a little bit embarrassed, right? And yeah. I was fortunate that I was in that type of position. Um, a lot of young people starting a company may be more similar to that than others. Obviously, there's a lot of risks that entrepreneurs take on. And sometimes, you know, if you 
if you're mortgaging your house for your business, the cost of failure is pretty high, right? If you have a lot of employees, the cost of failure is pretty high. Um, but starting out, I think it's a very important question to ask yourself because it's generally less scary than you think it is, especially if you're talking to someone younger in, in kind of the, the onset. So that's that's something that I always like um, to to keep in mind when, when you're starting a business like that. And I think that was something that I saw through my family of people who've gone through bankruptcies. And like I said, out of those five businesses, there's one that's still in business right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see how that works, but you have to hear the failures. You yeah. have to be a part of all that. Um, mm-hmm. And so in regards to your company now, like, you know, you said refinancing, guess everybody I think in, and has refinanced. Mm-hmm. What do you see in the future in regards to your business, in regards to like, home sales and you know where is where is it going um hopefully being able to offer more and more services to our clients i think one of the things we focused a lot in um over the last few months is rebranding kind of doing a marketing push and really focusing on kind of our core values which is something when you have two people in an office we literally had a sheet of paper that said don't screw it up and that was our company motto and for two people growing the company that that works right but when Mm -hmm. you have more it doesn't. So for us, I, I, you've, I'm sure gone through the mortgage process, the home buying process. There's a lot of smart people that have no idea what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a confusing kind of disjointed process. So what we want to do is slowly make it as less confusing as pro- possible. Yeah, that would be amazing. And um, by all means, because I just think it's still so incredibly difficult, yeah. even with the banking system and all too. So mm-hmm. That would be great. So we're all behind you on this, Jim, yeah. 100%, okay? Slowly, yeah, slowly but surely. I mean, right now we're still a B2B company. We have a lot of back-end tools for businesses, but hope to change that over time and kind of expand, you know, what we're doing within in the mortgage process in the space. So it's nice to kind of, you know, you hit kind of a, a pivot point at some point with your business, which I'm sure you have too, where you go from your your goal every year being to be here at the end of the year to actually being able to plan and have multi-year or longer strategies of where you want to go. And it's daunting, but also a nice place to to be in at that point where you can do that, where you're not a little out of survival mode and more kind of tilted to, you know, we can figure out what we're going to be going forward, work on long-term projects. You know, it's kind of peacetime versus wartime. Oh, absolutely. And I'm a big believer in core values. We do the EOS model, Entrepreneur Operating System, and we've had our four core values now for several years. And, you know, it's a stickler that everybody, we, we put it in our recruiting, we put it in our evaluations, um, and we've actually, you know, put down $20 as the first person to basically, you know, what are the four core values? Quick. And so they know them by heart. It's even on the wallpaper when you get your laptop nowadays and all. But the idea behind it is that you really do believe and breathe them. And mm-hmm. once you have them down, the bigger you become as a company, the more people will understand how valuable those core values really are. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. So when you talk about more services and where you want to go, I'm sure you have like a five, 10 year plan. What does that look like? Um, not quite, not quite five to 10 years. I think the way that we've viewed it is we had to over 2021 kind of survive the year. We were fortunate that the mortgage industry was doing very well. So we were able to benefit and grow from that. Mm -hmm. Um, We had to kind of update our business. So we were less reliant on third parties. So that was, that was 2020's goal. 2021 is kind of, I call it corporate puberty. Um, We're growing a lot faster. We have these limbs. We don't know how everything works. We smell a little bit funny. Um, so it's about getting a team structure, getting a manager structure, right. getting everything kind of working correctly. Um, 
from from the top down, which is something we we didn't have when it was just two three people in a room. Um, right. So that's kind of our goal of of figuring that focusing on efficiency too is something that we always do of um, how we're driving that from from a cost perspective. Um, and then beyond that is how do we then use our current business model to create new products and new services and have kind of a sustainable way of of launching that. Um, and that's something we're still slowly figuring out. We have some new products we're launching, new services we're launching, new branding that we've we've put forth this month. So, um, you know, I, I find generally when you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs like you do, they have a habit to be doing about 10 things at once. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm, I'm subject to a little bit, but hopefully, um, you know, have a little bit of structure. And that's where having a good team uh, really comes in. I think it's being an entrepreneur. If you're not doing like five things at once, I'm not sure you're a true entrepreneur, Jim. So, you know, it's, it's the hard part for us is to say no. And um, because we think we're invincible, it can do, sure, we can handle that. No problem, mm-hmm. you know, to keep things moving. So let's talk about the secrets and mistakes now. So mm-hmm. if you had, a, I mean, seven years, you learn a lot, you go through a lot, it goes up mm-hmm. and it goes down. If you had to like, rank your top three secrets for success, mm-hmm. what would they look like? Oh, most of these are stories. So uh, the first one was something that was said to me when I was in middle school. So my uh, my neighbor, um, my neighbor and I were the same age, still close friends. Um, we would get driven to the middle school dance, and his dad would always say the same things to us every month when he'd drop us off at the middle school dance. It was boys, remember every no gets you that much closer to a yes. And I don't know if I'd give that advice to someone dating necessarily, um, especially now, but in business and in sales, it's it's something that has always stuck, struck with me because you know, before I didn't have a sales job before I started my own company, people have always said, and I'm sure you've heard it, you're, per, you're personable, you're friendly, you'd be great at sales. That doesn't make you great at sales. I think what, what makes you a good entrepreneur and every entrepreneur needs to do sales in some way, shape or form is being able to handle rejection because you get no a lot. Um, and I think being able to move past that, focus on the yeses and keep moving forward and not letting those no's discourage you um, is really, really important. So that that's kind of a, a saying that's always stayed with me. Um, I remember when I was starting out in my business, our CRM was a spreadsheet of about 100 people I would contact every month. And I would go through, I would email and call every single one. And I hated it. I hated doing it because I would just get... Um, shut down time after time. But every time I made it through a list, I'd get at least one client. And that gave me the momentum to keep on going. So every no gets you that much closer to a yes is is something that stuck with me for a while. Um, my my neighbor, Bob Bolton, uh, was the one who said that. So I had to shout him out as well. Um, he still runs an insurance, uh, Allstate Insurance Branch. So it was, uh, you know, probably better advice for sales and business than dating, but still, still, uh, still something that stuck with me all over the years. Oh my God. And ironically, you're both now in that world too. Yeah. So hi, ironic, Hallie. You remember that statement yeah. and same, that you're doing that. Same with his son, same with my friend. He's, he's in a sales role too. So, you know, it's, yeah, it, it's funny, but you know, the things that stick with you over the years. So absolutely. That's, um, yeah. That's number one. Um, awesome. The other one was another thing that happened to me probably about a year into running my business. I was at a conference. I was um, feeling good about myself. We finally had clients. We were going, I was talking to someone who is now a close friend and um, entrepreneur himself. And I was talking about my business. I was like, you know, went from my apartment to having an office, having a company, hard part is over. 
And he very quickly looked at me and said, no, the first hard part is over. And that's been another thing that, that has stuck with me, that every part is hard, right, and in a different way. You know, we talked about things like core values, mm-hmm. growing a team, figuring out what your roles are. They're problems. They're, they're good problems to have, right? You're, I think as entrepreneurs, you live in the good problems to have category a lot, um, which I've come to embrace. But <laughs> I think knowing that every part is challenging in its different ways, going from zero clients to one, one to 10, 10 to 100, 100 to 1,000, it all takes a lot of kind of different things. And I think one thing um, that I've learned with that that's really important is you kind of just have to love the process. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, and I know here in Philly, trust the process is, is a popular saying, um, which is important, but also you just have to love what you're doing. Because if you don't love the grind, that's never mm-hmm. going to happen. You can't have a result of like, I want the company to be $10 million, $100 million, whatever. You just have to enjoy the day-to-day of the business because that's where you're going to sit more often than not. So mm-hmm. I think thinking of that, of, you know, this is hard in every little way, but continuing to push through and just kind of loving that that process is really important. And, and that's hard because you you have to love it because you're going to have a lot of days that are just down days. Yeah. And, it's, and surrounding yourself with people that get it. I mean, your family is amazing and you will love them forever. And your team is amazing, but they're not living that fear of payroll. And, um, and you really want to hang out with other entrepreneurs to understand what that's like, because you're going to need them when the time comes. That's for it's sure. Like I said, kind of that group, that group therapy, right. Mm-hmm. Of, of the aspect of finding people. And yeah, I think that, and that helps because there are people that can kind of commiserate, um, over that, over that, over, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly that, that comes along with it. Yeah. You have to do that. And then mm-hmm. how about your number three? Um, so this was something I mentioned a little bit before. This was a more of a mistake. Um, than a tip of just early on, I think I doubted what I could do myself. Um, and it le- led me to rely, give out more of the business than I should have, bring in people, salespeople, people who were quote unquote experienced in the industry. Um, and it just wasn't the right fit. So I think realizing, and this is tough because you only really learn by doing of generally when you start a business, you're enough to do all of it, or you need to be. Um, and there, there's certain things that you're going to bring in people um, to help you with. But I think having a sense of what you can do and what you can't do and, you know, having the confidence to, to figure it out yourself, I think is really important. And I think if I had a little more of that earlier on, it, it would have um, avoided a lot of, you know, a lot of mistakes, save some time and money at the end of the day. But you just learn by making those mistakes. So it's, it's, it's hit or miss. I think it's, I don't know how much of that is advice or a mistake or somewhere in between, but I think it's, it's part of the process and something I always tell folks um, who are trying to start a business or talking about it as part of the problem is every decision you make has a dollar sign attached to it, right? Both positive and negative, and there's going to be negatives. It's unavoidable. So unless you learn to deal with that and be okay with that, um, you're, it's going to be hard. Most people in jobs don't have that and that's fine. Right. Um, but that's, that's part of kind of what you take on running a business. Absolutely. Well, let's go through that. Um, mm-hmm. we'll go through one of those samples you talked about with the mistake, you know, about what was that, that you realized, Oh, okay. I gotta do this instead. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, what was one of those mistakes that you made? Um, I mean, something that you've dealt with a lot, I'm sure, is hiring, right? That's mm-hmm. always a big one. You hire the wrong person. It isn't a fit. Um, you eventually let them go. 
then mm-hmm. the next thing to do is be like, okay, how much does this cost me? Right. And like the right. monetary aspect, but usually the thing that's worse is the time, mm-hmm. right? the, the, the months, the years, whatever it was that that person was around. So I think that's part of the, I think that's always something in the back of your head. Um, but then it can be every little thing, right? You spend $10,000 to go to a conference or to present at something, nothing comes of it. Okay. That was a mistake. Now I know. So those are those are things. Part of it you just learn by doing, um, but I think it's it, it's frustrating because a lot of people can look at that and say, "I just spent ten thousand dollars. That's awful. I shouldn't. I I need to avoid that." Yes, you need to make informed decisions, but at the end of the day, part of that is unavoidable. I think. I, I would agree with that, and I mm-hmm. think also entrepreneurs have to realize, you know, usually nobody's going to hear about this company as much as you do. Yeah. Is, is your baby and you want them to like be proud of it and excited and you are until you look around the room sometimes and you see some people still with you and many people not and because i still think there is an attraction of going to a much larger company because they feel or there's a perceived feeling that they'll be taken care of and i think um the economy has changed that mindset where it used to be like you're an entrepreneur it was almost like oh that's you didn't do well on your jobs did you like it was almost like a fallback and Mm -hmm. now i think it has changed considerably the more of that it's the cool thing oh you're an entrepreneur how'd you get started what did you do blah 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 and so people think it's all so easy to start and what they don't realize is that you know it takes three to five years to, to get yeah. really grooving in your groove and you're going to have a lot of things thrown at you where you have to duck and be like, whoa, here this comes again. I would I argue that, it's, almost, that. It's, it's swung too much in another direction. I mean, probably before COVID, to be honest, that it got glorified, you know, looking at Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. or the Facebooks right. of the world, which are the exception more than anything else. So I think yeah. it got a little bit glorified of what a normal startup, what a company looks like, how long mm-hmm. it takes. You know, there's no such thing as an overnight success. I think that's that's part of the issue. Um, and you're right. I, I saw, um, I was speaking to a group of, of college students the other day and mm-hmm. I was saying how um, when I left my old job, my pay cut when I started my business was just about six figures. And it took me until year six to get back to that old salary. Mm-hmm. Um, and some businesses could be faster, comes should, could be slower. That's what happened with me. That some person asked the question after, mm-hmm. you know, oh, so, you know, you said that it took you, you know, six years to match your old salary, but now, you know, a couple of years later, what are you like five times what you were making before? And I just kind of laughed at him. I was, um, I, I think I made the joke. I was like, that must've been a plant for my wife, but, uh, no, uh, no, it doesn't work that way. If I don't want my business to grow, maybe, but like, that's not, that that's just not the case. So I think people have the wrong perception about kind of what it, what it is to, um, you know, start your own business and, and do all of that and what, you know, that grind. Really oh, like. Absolutely. And as well as the continuation of that grind, I think yeah. people think it goes away and Technically, it doesn't go away. And there are still nights that I go to bed at two o'clock in the morning because that has got to get done. And everybody's on vacation or whatever. Well, guess what? Nothing stops because of that. You have to keep on going. And you need to have your fingers a little bit on everything, but pull away. Like That's why you have your team, your executive team, and make all these decisions. You trust them and Mm -hmm. all. You still have to have your ear to the ground because I really do believe like once you get your um, eye off the ball, 
the ball gets bouncing everywhere when it should be. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, obviously you have 13 people and you've made some hiring mistakes now and, and you're still going to continue doing that no matter I don't care oh, yeah. how good the process is. Um, but tell me about, you know, um, you know, moving forward and where you want to go, because it sounds like you do a lot of uh, coaching out there too to other entrepreneurs that want to be entrepreneurs like you. Um, what are some of the things right now that you're telling them? Um, a lot of what I was saying before, you know, think of the price of failure. Um, your best friends are time, right? These things take time. So the less pressure you can put on yourself to give everything time to grow, the better. And that was a, a mistake that I made early on that I thought it was going to be easy, to be honest. I thought things were going to happen quickly. And I put a lot of financial pressure personally on myself, um, which caused a lot of stress, a lot of debt, credit card debt, things that took me years to kind of dig myself out of. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the more time that you can do, the better. I think especially in technology, the mistake that everyone makes is I need an app, right? Mm-hmm. I need to do this. And I think what, what I try to do is you know, figure out what your business really is. And in most cases, your business isn't an app. An app right. is the way of delivering what you're doing, um, but that's not it. So the example I always like to give is um, Zappos, the billion dollar shoe online company, right? They started, they had an office above a shoe store. They had a very simple website um, that had a picture of every pair of shoes in that store. And if someone went on their website, ordered a pair of shoes, they went downstairs got the box and shipped it out. That was the first online shoe store because all they wanted to prove is would people buy shoes online? Right. That's it. They didn't have a huge app. They didn't have a big fancy website. They didn't spend tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars building stuff out. They tested their concept as much as possible early on. Um, So that's something that whatever your business looks like, the more that you can do that early on, um, the better because you figure out so much stuff um, before you have a fancy app or a fancy mm-hmm. office or a bunch of people, mm-hmm. whatever whatever that business looks like. Yeah, I think people don't realize that. You mentioned another word too about credit card debt. And mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and in the first five years, a lot of them tapped into a lot of credit cards and they paid it all off, but they had to do that because unfortunately how it works with the banking system sometimes, if you don't have, you know, basically those assets set up and you haven't been doing it for a while, yeah. they, they leave you stuck. I mean, there's the SBA, there's a bunch of things that you can tie into, but for only so much. And you need to have so much assets to prove that you can pay that back. How did you get started basically knowing that um, I got credit card debt and this is what I want to do to get to where I'm at? And you don't now. You took care of it. But people do do that yeah. quite a bit when they I start off. I was enough for the business. I was able to do a friends and family round, which right. has its own pros and cons, especially with totally. family members. Um, but I think why I put so much pressure on myself was I wanted to not be a draw on the business early on, right? I Mm -hmm. wanted all that money to be in the business to reinvest. So that put more personal pressure on myself of the amount of money I drew from the business. Um, I think rent was covering about 80% of my my salary, right? That's not sustainable. Um, So that was, um, part of that was my rent was really high. I was living in New York City. So um, the personal decisions you, you go into it make a difference. And I think to your earlier question of the things you tell people starting out is that's a short story I share because, you know, it got to a point with the business there. We probably had about two months worth of runway left until we were mm-hmm. running out of money. And then how do you go to a client that says, Jim, I like this idea. Contact me in six months. You don't say I'll only be around for two. Let's sign this now. 
that's that's not really going to you know win anyone over. So the more you can have that time, the more you can buy yourself that time, both personally and professionally, uh, the better. And I don't think I realized or, or truly had a sense of what that timing was going to look like going in. Yeah. And if you, ha if you had to give advice out there too, for entrepreneurs that are starting, you know, what would you say the top three things you should spend your money on would be what? Um, let's say try to spend as little money on anything as possible, but I would probably say marketing at the end of the day. I think mm -hmm. you have to figure out who your clients are and where they get in a room and be in that room. Um, so this was something I had a, a mentee who came to me. He said, um, I just got a grant from, from the university. I got 10 grand. I need to spend it. Right. I said, hang on, this is not burning a hole in your pocket. Let's wait. Right. So I think marketing sales is always important of getting to wherever your clients are and getting in mm -hmm. front of as many of them as possible. So I think that's always well spent. Obviously there's ways of doing it digitally, depending on your business, mm -hmm. um, to the, extent that you can spend money on people. And I'm a big proponent. If you can pay people cash, pay people cash. Don't give people a stake of your business until it's much further on. Keep everything in cash, especially when you know, you know, this is something, this yep. is a skill that someone else can do at a fairly affordable price, whether it be basic invoicing and bookkeeping. Um, for us, like customer support, like for customer success, we call it bringing on people, getting people set up in our system. Um, those are types of things that we spent money on early and was helpful because it freed up your time. Um, right. So those are, those I would say are the big two. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a third actually. I, I would be very um, kind of tight purse to start if I was in hindsight, you know, from, from where I was, so. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think people mm -hmm. think you got to have that nicey little office and you have to have the, the, the brochures and all and brochures change what you're going to be selling changes mm -hmm. and that costs money to change it and then get printed. So mm -hmm. I always tell people right away, like, don't, don't buy the marketing stuff right away. You know, do your basic stuff. If you have to work mm -hmm. from home, work from home, you know, make it work because all those expenses are pretty mm -hmm. high. I know a lot of people too, a lot of friends of mine during COVID, they had just purchased another um, business and they were really, mm -hmm. they were, they were cash tapped and it really mm -hmm. hurt them for a bit to get through that hump because they had purchased other stuff. But you just, you got to, you don't spread yourself too thin. You know, mm -hmm. and I know a lot of people will do that because cash is cheap right now, but it's fascinating is to hear all the stories out there too. So yeah. it's definitely interesting. And then how about outsourcing? Do you outsource any of your functions right now? Um, no, we, we keep everything in house and we, there were some aspects we outsourced in the past, but we've brought it in mm -hmm. um, really for control at the end of the day is kind mm -hmm. of the, the big purpose. Um, you know, I have some contractors I use. I use a great bookkeeping service mm -hmm. uh, based here in Philly that I strongly recommend. But for our basic product development, customer support, um, sales and marketing, I bring everything in-house. And I think part of that is just knowing yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I probably care more about control than I do for rapid, rapid growth. And I would be acting differently if I did. There are a lot of companies, especially in technology, raise a bunch of money, give away equity, you know, grow as fast as possible. And mm -hmm. that's something that one, I don't think we're set up to do. And two, I just don't want to. And, you know, it's you're, you know, I think understanding that as an entrepreneur, communicating that effectively, and you're fortunate enough that you, you get to choose. Like one of the things I, I always think about entrepreneurs is 
you're very non-employable because one, most entrepreneurs don't want to work for someone else. Mm-hmm. And most entrepreneurs, myself included, if I applied for the job I have now, I would never get it, mm-hmm. right? So that makes you <laughs> very unemployable unless you're just starting your own business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in some ways, um, you, you kind of earn the right to screw up, right? Mm-hmm. By having a business that's one person, five people, 10 people, by the time it's 15 people, because you did everything leading up to that point, you become kind of the default person. You have the right to try making it bigger. So that, mm-hmm. that's kind of the way I like to think of it. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, will say they want to be bigger and larger, but they just can't get out of the hole of being a solo entrepreneur. Yeah. And to be honest with you, they don't want to give up control. And you you have to be okay doing that. It's painful. Yeah. Um, but like I had done my own books because I'm an accountant, so I could do my own books. And then all of a sudden, you know, I have an outsourced bookkeeper too, who's amazing. Yeah. And she took them from me and she just said, you can give them to me. And I didn't want to give them to her. And still the best thing I ever did. And I still use them over 10 years later. Mm-hmm. And I just really trust our relationship and what we have there. But I feel like we're squeaking clean. And, uh, but you have to, you know, who, I, I could tell you other places that I trusted and it backfired, you know? And, and so even though someone had said, oh, they're the best, you should go with them. And it didn't work out for us. And so yeah. again, like you had mentioned, you know, Every decision you make has a dollar sign attached to it. So true. Um, yeah. And you want to make vendors and partners is a great example of that too. Absolutely. So how are you engaging your people now? Because engagement is such a hot topic. Um, people are losing people. I do believe this great resignation period has hasn't even truly begun yet. I think September October is yeah. when people get back into the groove. I think right now for Philly, it's short time. People are just thinking about, hey, get a few more weeks. My kid goes yeah. back to school or college. And then September 15th hits and it's like a typhoon. So what are you doing yeah. now to keep your employees engaged? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing that a position that I think used to get about 100 applications in a week now gets five, mm-hmm. in our example. So it, it's something we're seeing. Um, we're, we only had about four people before the pandemic. So a lot of our growth has been over the last year and a half, a lot of it remote. Um, just mm-hmm. this spring, we finally got a, an office that can fit everyone. Um, so we're slowly getting back to the office, um, bringing people who aren't in the Philly area in. We have a, a kind of summer sales summit, we're calling it this week. Um, yeah. We have um, next week um, more folks coming in as well. Um, so bringing people back that way. Um, I think a struggle for me was there all, where it was a while where I was the only one who talked who had talked to every single employee. And no employee was in a meeting with more than like two other people. So wow. it was very segmented. Um, and that was before we really started figuring out core values and vision and mission. So one of the things we started to do with the help of mentorship was first quarterly meetings of everyone on a Zoom, let me tell you about what's going on. Um, okay. Now we've moved those up to monthly and they're hit. Um, I talk a little bit about what's going on with the company. I have different departments talk about things that they're doing. And then we play a game. It's just some icebreaker because most people don't know everyone. So whether it's a trivia game or like there are a lot of kind of fun virtual tools out there to use. It's just a way of engaging people, getting everyone to meet everyone and getting a sense of, one, there's a person here who knows what they're doing in terms of leadership and moving the company forward. But also there's more people here and you're part of a, a team and part of a group. And I know people who do it a lot more often than once a month. Yeah. Sure, we can, we could get there. It's just so far it's been what's working for us. So. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. it's interesting because you, um, 
every company has been different and we do a lot of that employee engagement stuff. And it's really interesting. I think the biggest key is listening to your team and then listening, but doing something about it. And the greatest thing is you have 13 people. It's a little bit more manageable. And then when you hit that 25 and 30, a little bit different because now you have to have your managers really help you out with that. And then you get to that 50 and it's like, okay, now we got to really make sure we focus on this. But I do see that happening. So I've I've been telling a lot of our clients to do stay interviews. Um, What they are is basically it's not an evaluation. We actually have a set number of questions that we ask our current employees of like, hey, what skills do you think you have that we're not using? Hey, what areas do you think that you want to do that? We, are, we don't have you doing right now. What yeah. does that look like? And it's been great to see the feedback we're getting. It's been really good, I would say, um, just improvements all the way around that mm-hmm. we weren't aware of before. So it's, it's been helping us a mm-hmm. lot, but it takes time to do that, you know? Um, and you need to be in a position where the company's doing well to offer yes. to time on some of those things. I think one thing I've tried to model with the Goldman Group and other things I've done was continued professional learning. Yes. Right? So I do a lot of that. But now I've tried to open it up to more folks in the company of, hey, mm-hmm. you want to take a class in something? What do you want to do next? Yep. What what does that look like for you? And I'm going to pay for it. Right. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, being able to open that up and, and kind of, you know, talk to those folks who are key when you have mm-hmm. five people, 10 people, 15 people and say, what's your position going to look like when we have 50 people and right. how can we help you get there? And be because, consistent. Yeah. Because as a CEO, you know that your job's going to change a lot and you kind of need to level up. Right. I've only spent two and a half years not in this business in the professional world. So mm-hmm. I do not have a lot of experience that isn't this company. So how do you supplement that? Um, I think it's really important. Yeah, our benefits now have like doubled what we had even five years ago. Yeah. And we do that because, you know, we want to attract the best people, but we want to retain them. So it's definitely interesting. But let's talk about that learning piece. Entrepreneurs are just avid learners. And yeah. we try to get our team to be as, as learning as much as all of us. What are some of the podcasts that you listen to right now to keep you on top of things? Um, I go on and off with Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. I'm not sure if you're aware of him. I, just a little bit. I, mean, I need like kind of like startup momentum. Um, he's I'll do it. Listen to. I actually saw a little clip of his yesterday, um, which was how do you go from $1 million to $100 million? And the answer was people. You need to grow a team and invest in people because you can't do it yourself. Yep. Um, and that really resonated with me. So he's he's always a good one. Um, trying to think. Um, I like the kind of um, what, Masters of Scale is the podcast with Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um What's the, uh, how I built this, the MPR one, really just hearing entrepreneurial stories is always really fun. Um, I know a quick one, there was um, Stacy's Pita Chips. It was that founder. She had a pita chip stand in Boston, right? That was, or she had a pita stand and they didn't know what to do with the stale bread. So they made chips and that became the pita chip franchise. And she was talked about selling the business for millions of dollars, retiring young, having kind of all of this stuff. And she's in the store kind of walking around and someone has a bag of chips and she goes up to him and she goes, you know, those are my chips. Um, Cause she's Stacy from Stacy's pizza chips. And the person looks at her and goes, no, that's my bag of chips. Oh my gosh. That is <laughs> awesome. It's, it's just funny hearing little stories and anecdotes like that, that kind of just really like humanize the process. Oh my God. You would love also then Guy Raz has uh, how I built this yeah, as well. Yeah, that's the one I mentioned on NPR. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's awesome actually. Mm-hmm. And um, there's another one too, entrepreneurs on fire, John Dumas. Um, he's yeah, another, he's like, he yeah. is probably one of the top 10 entrepreneur podcasts out there right now. I got a chance mm-hmm. to meet him 
dynamic guy was just amazing about the podcast and wants me to do these, you know, like three or four times a week. And I just sat there like, okay, we're getting there. Um, so it's, it's hard to do over this because you know, you have a podcast yourself and it's, it's hard to do to set them up, get it moving, get it marketed and all too. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, it's a good visibility that people can learn more about entrepreneurs and how to do it and what they learn from it. But it's fascinating. Um, it's also tough because not that many people like putting themselves out there and seeing five views, 10 views. Yes. It's, it's low to start. It's, it's taken us a while to really grow and we're, we still have a lot of time, a lot of way to go. But it's, I think, speaking of kind of, you know, enjoying the process, I love talking to people. Part of why I started a podcast in the pandemic was mm -hmm. I wasn't going and seeing people in the same way I would with conferences and things like that. So it was just an excuse to reconnect with as many folks in the industry yeah. as I could. But you learn all these golden nuggets for your own company. Mm -hmm. Half the things that you're saying makes it just resonates with my yeah. team as well. How about books? Do you read books or do you listen to books? I read, I listen to podcasts and read books. Um, my favorite business book is The Hard Thing About Hard Things mm. uh, by Ben Horowitz. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of a little more profane and just like a pretty good like um, take of like this. These are kind of the trials and tribulations and the things that you deal with. And like his company was running out of money and the only way he could think to save the company was take it public. So mm -hmm. it's like interesting, like hearing about stakes like that and things yeah. that they've they've gone through. He had a really good book about culture. I forget the name of it. It was the, the follow-up book that he wrote. Um, he's a big kind of VC guy now. Um, so that's one of that's one of kind of my my favorite ones. It's tough too, because I don't know if you see this, but um at the end of the day, I don't want to read business books because I don't want to think about business. So mm -hmm. I think one of the things I struggle with, and I don't know how, how you approach this, is creating that space. So like you know, does there come a point where the actual best thing for me to do during the day is read a book about business or participate in, in education or things like that and taking that out of mm -hmm. your inbox or whatever other things are going on? It's it's hard. I think you get to a point where you think your company is doing okay, but you got to focus on you because if you don't focus on you, your team doesn't focus on themselves mm -hmm. and they follow you. So if you sweat, yeah. they're taking a bath. And I always try to tell my team, like, like you can't be stressed yeah. out to your team because then they're going to feel it even worse. Yeah. And so if you don't take time for you, mm -hmm. they're not going to take time for themselves. Yeah. So it's funny how they do look up to the leader as to, well, what do I do next? So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting time for sure. Um, and then we'll, we'll leave it here as to like, you know, three words you think every starting entrepreneur needs to have to be successful. What would they be? It's for you can do it. Well, yeah. it you can do it. I love it. All right. You can do I it. Think, I think that was that went in line with kind of my third piece of advice of like, you're enough to make this work. If you want to do it, you can do it. You can figure it out. Um, you know, I think that um, people are built to want to do this type of thing. Um, one of my mentees, I could tell he's doing 10 things at once. He wants to push this. He knows he can. Like, there's that confidence. He needs a lot of help, just like any entrepreneur does. But I think there's there's a, there's a mindset that's there that, yeah, I, I can do this, obviously. Like, why not, right, is another thing. Um, that's two words, not three. But, but that's okay. There we go, three. I, I love it. Um, yeah. So lastly, how do people get a hold of Jim Paolino? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn is always good. Jim Paolino, Lodestar's Lending Leaders is my podcast. 
Um, LodestarSS.com is our company website. Um, happy to have a conversation. I always like to talk to entrepreneurs, folks in the industry. Uh, you know, just kind of the more more we help each other, the more we learn, learn the better. Um, one of the things I like so much about mentoring is it makes you a better mentee as well, right? Like you have people who mentor you. And then you're able to mentor people and it kind of gives you a good perspective on on both roles. So always happy to kind of participate in that in any way possible. Oh, my God. I love it. I love yeah. the things you mentioned. Every no gets you to a closer. Yes. Yeah. You know, the first hard part is over. Um, yeah. The mistake doubted what I could do myself. And then I love the one. Every decision you make has a dollar sign attached to it. I can't agree with you more. Mm -hmm. And your best friends are your time. You got to be very careful about mm -hmm. your time because time can go pretty yeah. fast. So with that, I can't thank you enough, Jim, for, for joining us today um, mm -hmm. on top three entrepreneurs sharing secrets and mistakes. Again, everybody, I'm Marcia O'Connor, CEO of the O'Connor Group. Thanks for being here with us today. And until next time, keep exploring, keep being that entrepreneur out there. You can do it, as Jim basically just stated to all of us. And we'll see you next time. Take care.